You're listening to Alan and Jimmy on the Lost and Rewound show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Hey, it's time to get embarrassed with us. for yet another edition of Lost and Rewound. Somehow, we are here. Somehow. By the grace of the gods. I feel like the internet is burning ever so slowly. A very, very long burn. Well, if... Like a good split. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine that if there was some sort of, like, awful apocalypse, like that the last thing you saw on a computer screen was, like, a meme of the salt day? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for being here during the very slow and methodical apocalypse. My name is not Jimmy. And my name is not Alan. And we take the initiative every Thursday here at 3 p.m. to show off your tapes, show off your audio, show off my audio, show off your old self. And if you would like to submit anything to the show because you want to get involved, reach out to us, lostandrewound at gmail.com. That's right. Again, we are looking to get into the past to dive in to, you know, these audio time capsules. Yes. You know. We live in a linear timeline. It's crazy to think. You do stuff and you go, that's never going to come back and bite me. <laughs> and it totally does. Every time it comes back. We hope that it bites us in audio form. It sounds just a little bit of... I do the, the Don Zoni voice as the Shirley Bassey. <laughs> do, 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 do. See, you know, I, I do all these different goofy voices, but I don't have ones coined. I don't have ones that I always do that are my characters, you know. Tato, jump on it. <laughs> I get it sounds like uh, a Jewish fat Albert. <laughs> hey, everybody. Would you like to donate to the show? Give us a look-see at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash LAR and be a sponsor for $1, $2, even a Hamilton. A Hamilton. <laughs> Dude, don't even get me started on Hamilton. Any money that you would like to submit to being a sponsor helps us with financial ease and on the financial ease tip, Jimmy's going to tell you about that right now. Yeah, you can also go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge and donate to the station itself because we don't have ads. Yes. Did you notice that, guys? We, we, we don't Did have Did you ads. notice that, people? Listeners out there, there's no one inundating you. I was just in a cab right now because uh-huh. I'm a bala. Yes. <laughs> Three dollar cab. Uh-huh. And uh, they, were, Unions, they were playing baby. ads. And I was thinking to myself... I've been listening to ads a lot recently, thinking to myself, this is my future. Like, I will be that guy reading that ad. Uh, yeah. And it was really painful <laughs> listening to them. <laughs> because the copy is so treacherously Yeah, terrible. and I was wondering, um, you know, if it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be as painful reading it. Yeah. But I know it's bad for you guys listening. It's always bad for the listener. So the same way you can, you can sponsor the station, you can sponsor the show again, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge or RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash L-A- are. You get swag if you donate to the station. Yes. So consider goodwill towards man. Goodwill towards man. You're giving back to the arts. Giving back to the arts. And uh, on the topic of the arts, we do have a submission coming at you very shortly. Our guest will be here in a second. Um, but let's uh, do some very, very necessary segue music. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Our guest this week is a Detroit-born and Brooklyn-based musician. Welcome to the show, Matt Finch. Welcome, 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 welcome. Glad to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you both. You submitted quite an artifact. I have a photo more or less in front of me. I don't. I'm lying. It's not. Radio, <laughs> Radio Magic. No, no it's, it, it was in front of me It's before. in front of all of us. We've all got a copy. Yeah. yeah the, the, Laminated. Uh, I, when you, you emailed us and you, you, you sent a photo before mm-hmm. the actual file, and it's a photo of must be about eight microcassettes. Oh no! The photo is actually twenty five micro cassettes. Wow! Photo. Wow! Oh, two larger cassettes. He got excited. He got visibly excited. He got. He got flush. <laughs> he said, "Oh, Miss Daisy, <laughs> twenty five cassettes, dear love. <laughs> Where did you get those? <laughs> twenty five micro cassettes. Yes, I remember these micro cassettes. Yeah. Do you? Did you feel like a, a spy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's where it really <laughs> truly started, right? Like, uh, as a as a child, my like. I figured out I could just carry this thing around and hear what people said later. <laughs> like, it's, you know, just leave it Again, around. it's surprisingly cool. We've, yeah. re- we've, we've come to realize through this show how cool it really is. Yeah, it, I felt pretty slick. I thought it was so interesting to just have a backpack or a large coat on and just have the recorder in there and then just not think about it and just walk around. And eventually you just pick up things. And when you listen back, you'd be so surprised what, what happens in your day. And you'd be surprised how loud the backpack is when you. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, but I think, that's, but that's really interesting too that you were at the same time. You weren't doing like Alan was. This was like no, you're mic'd, but you yeah, don't know that exactly. you're mic'd. It was really interesting. I remember about the way they used to mic people in old movies. If you watch black and white films a lot, there'll be people that'll be crouched around a table, speaking towards each other, but like in an unnatural way, and they'll have something on the table, like usually a plant. And it's because the mic was in the plant. And oh, they only wow. didn't speak into the plant to be heard <laughs> because they didn't have boom mics. I'm, I'm thinking, like I, I, I'm envision- your lines into the plant. <laughs> I'm yeah. envisioning like a Mitt Romney uh, dinner event. <laughs> yes, just speak directly into this pie. Yeah. No reason. Smells delicious, doesn't it? Have a sniff while you tell me nuclear secrets. All right, Matt Finch, private eye. What was the nature of you having a recorder in your backpack? You're from Detroit. Yeah. Now, you've been living in New York for two years? Yeah, just about, yeah. How old are these tapes? So these tapes come from about, like, 2008, 2009. Um, These microcassette recordings? Yes, microcassette recordings from 2008, 2009. I was still using them, yeah. Were you using them even before 2008? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Some of the ones in the photograph are probably from maybe even like 2000. Possibly one of them is 1998. What was the one from 1998, if you can remember? So if, it, if it's what I think it is, that one is like me, I think, just talking to myself and putting on this fake radio show. As like as like a kid and just like that's talking. what that, yeah. that that is what the Danziger Zone was the impetus for uh, what created Lost and Rewound. A lot of people we found. I think we're going to continue to find. Yeah, have done exactly that. Yeah, it's like a weird way to like play with your imagination, expand character ideas. If you ever do come back to the show, and we hope you do, then yeah. we certainly look forward to hearing even older Matt Finch. Yes, I but would. Yeah. I think it's better that we go slowly into the past because <laughs> yeah. you know what. The way that this linear timeline is moving right now Mm -hmm. is quick. And I don't know about you guys, but as much as we're all like, oh, 2001 feels like yesterday. I'm like, you know what? 2008 feels like a long time ago. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. It's Like the whole crash and that whole thing Mm -hmm. and and the whole recession. I'm like, it feels like it feels like Obama. Obama with no gray. Exactly. You know, that feels like a long time ago. (laughs) So this is still past for us. This is still the past. Surprisingly, the 2008, it's we're so like, good. oh, the good old days. 
<laughs> it was the good old days. It's unfortunately the case. So wait, then in so much as uh, where you were in your life in 2008, why were you recording and what was Matt Finch like? Somewhere between junior, senior year of high school. I play music with people. I love like uh, traveling. I have like a lot of different types of friends. But what it led me to having these different types of friends and being around creative people was I eventually had the opportunity to kind of travel across the state of Michigan. I stopped in a couple cities, one of them with this tape features mostly is uh, in Kalamazoo. I had a group of friends who had a co-op and I was in the phase of recording where I was very much like, I just want to capture what's naturally happening in my life. So when I went on this trip, that's kind of why I was uh, recording at that time is I just wanted to be around good creative people, you know, do a little bit of a journey thing and then just capture whatever audio came of it. You graduated high school and then you felt inclined to go on this trip after that? Yeah, just about. Yeah, yeah. It was a, um, if I remember correctly, it's a, yeah, like right at the end of my senior year. Um, Vision quest, man. Exactly. That's really cool. That's rad <laughs> yeah. that you, uh, what kind of car did you drive? It was a Durango. <laughs> Wait, yeah. like, you had a large ass SUV or was it a truck? Or no, what? it was a large ass SUV. See, like, well, even when the best not thing about- a good road trip car. No, no, no. I mean, but that's what you get when your family is where you get your cars from. <laughs> hey, man, that's, yeah. that's, oh, no, no, that's was, most people. Yeah, yeah. But, dude, the best thing about having a Durango is getting to say it. Durango. Oh, exactly. hey, everybody get in the Durango. Let's uh, take the Durango for a spin. <laughs> <laughs> it never gets old. So basically, the centering of why the people were in these different cities was uh, they are always right outside of universities. A lot of them were sure. attending college at that time. Yeah. So yeah, I hit cities, if anyone's familiar with Michigan, hit Lansing, where there's Michigan State, Grand Rapids, where there's Grand Valley And State. you had never yeah. been to any of these cities before. I'd been to Grand Rapids one time prior for like a Halloween party that I went to like years prior. But yeah, it was, it was my first kind of journey into these places and I got to meet and find a lot of people. It felt very gypsy-esque, very nomadic. It was just kind of... It was cathartic. Yes, absolutely. I've been to Detroit once. I know nothing about Michigan. From somebody who grew up in Michigan, right. yeah. but not seeing the state. I'm curious what your impressions were. It made me realize how many people there are just like me. And that maybe sounds silly, but when you're young, you kind of maybe have this impression that you're like a unique individual and that you're maybe on some personal quest to do, I don't know, you're like your own person, all that. But when I travel- There's that line of bullshit our parents found Exactly. Yeah. 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 If you dream we all, it, we all, we're you now, can be it. Now it's we're like, like great. Yeah. We're part of that generation. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, uh, and it was extremely affirming to just uh, go to these different cities and run into friends and people and realize that, you know, there's great communities everywhere. And that if you hang around the right people or hang around people that are uh, in a similar wavelength, you can you just meet really great people. And when it comes to Michigan, the biggest personality that I found everywhere was this type of like DIY creative, you know, maybe has like some yearning for some professional life, but doesn't want to be in an office. And so you get, you, get, you, get, you get these smart people who are uh, always thinking kind of differently. Very similar to Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, probably, that's why probably I think why I, you found yourself oh, here. It, absolutely, there's so many connections and comparisons, specifically between Bushwick and Detroit, that I know. Yeah, a lot. I definitely get a, a very sort of bubbling on the surface artistic community vibe that's coming into Detroit, just from all the oh, reports yeah. I've seen. And even when I was there, I, I definitely got a little bit of a feel. I didn't get the full on experience, mm-hmm. but. I could sense it just from like the different spots I was passing by for that weekend. Were your parents creative people? You know, it's it's funny. They were, but they did not choose to follow those paths professionally. My mother was a great visual artist with colors and paints. And my father, 
Yeah, he has a knack for drawing, great ability to draw. None of them really did music too much. They all maybe experienced music, played instruments at different times, but they didn't really hone in that particular craft. What I find most interesting about my creative line is uh, my grandfather. Okay. Yeah. He was the artist. He, and Exactly. Did you have a good relationship with your grandfather? I would say so, yeah. yeah definitely. I mean, still today, he's still alive, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and what kind of art was he doing? So he um, is a motorcycle customizer out of the 60s. He used to like go to festivals and pinstripe cars and started his own company called Finch's Custom Cycles. And he's built up a reputation of building one-of-a-kind, uniquely designed and uniquely engineered motorcycles. He'll build one, never repeat it. They're all very interesting. I mean, everyone's just like, look them up. They're, they're quite works of art. And he's now taken that recognition he's got, and he's now focusing a lot on just metal sculpture. But his thing is he'd go to a junkyard, find a couple spoons and a fork, and then like five hours later, it's like this beautiful butterfly crawling out of a plant. And it's just that material that he reworked and twisted it around and built it. It's great. Yeah, Very cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. Actually, um, I want to say it was a couple of years ago at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. They had a phoenix that was created out of junkyard parts from China. Yeah. Awesome. I think it was maybe American trash that they were using that they were buying from the U.S. and using to build cities in in, uh, in Asia. Wow. But you're exactly right. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff. To exactly. Be done. And it's just usually the image of it is so it's powerful to me because it's just like yeah you see things that you're normally seeing is waste and now they are the content of some beautiful thing and it's great what got you into making music as your choice of art the instruments have kind of always been there i remember as early as like fifth grade playing handbells in the choir and being like this is awesome <laughs> like you can just move these things and it sounds awesome i love that the example you gave was the handbells like we we were learning how to play the recorder why did we learn that why did they make know. us learn that? hot cross ones man it's very important <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was doing that, doo, 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 and even at the time, I was thinking, "This is awful. Yeah, why, no, why? No one likes this." There were times in my life where I thought, "You know what? I'm just going to muscle through this because, like, I'll probably forget it ever happened." Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to repress this. <laughs> what became your first instrument that you started to learn? Um, sa- uh, alto saxophone was where I, where I started in nice. a band setting, okay. concert band. Yep, and then I realized that uh, all my friends were jamming with these guitars and I felt like out of place. And now I look back, I'm like, oh, there's so much you could do with the saxophone. But back in like, however young I was, I was like, what, fifth or sixth grade? I just was like, saxophone's useless. There's there's nothing that can be done with this in comparison to a bass or a guitar. It's, so very, I, it's very losery when you're a kid. Yeah. You don't, yeah. Any brass. Exactly. When, when you got brass as a kid, people were like, oh, come on. Yeah. Come on, bro. You'd think that with all the kids who were listening to ska music at one point, that there would just be more ska bands being made, and then that yeah. you would have a good use for an alto or an antenna. Is this, and, exactly. uh, is this something trumpet. that you're advocating in this moment? Excuse me. Are you like down at the beach like, yeah, 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 we need more ska? <laughs> <laughs> I like how you, you said the, that same Offspring song. They're not even ska. It's it's, watch, it's good, watch, good enough. Watch me. I, I, am push, I am pushing up my imaginary glasses at you, Mister. I'm wearing glasses. You know, this is what normal people of the world we hear any music that sounds like that. We're like, turn it off. <laughs> well, one day we're gonna have a guy on the show named Jeff Cohen, and he is a huge fan of ska, so he will put you in your place for me. I used to hang out with these ska kids. Um, it was really strange when we'd all be like hanging out, drinking, and like, what kid would have a trumpet sitting yeah. there? Yeah. And he'd be like, and every once in a while, he'd be like, <laughs> the kid with the trumpet. He'd be like, oh yeah, and like bust it out. And you'd, it was, was kind of cool, yeah. but it was weird because the kid was also crusty. 
don't know if you guys ever, you guys ever hang out. You guys ever hang out with crusty people? Oh, yeah. yeah They're so, around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't bathe so much, and you're like, I hope I get a life lesson out of this, because they're kind of stinky. <laughs> like, hey, man, where'd you get that shirt? He's like, oh, this is just dead skin. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you want some? <laughs> you then went into playing guitar then? Yeah, guitar and bass. Okay, yeah. guitar and bass. Yeah, focused mostly on bass. I liked nice. the, the idea of playing bass or drums when I was younger. I never pursued either, but uh, mm-hmm. to this day, I could always say that I, I am drumming constantly in my head yeah. anytime. Yeah, you, got, you, he would be a drummer if he was a musician. I got the beat, but, no, I, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I don't. I don't. I have rhythm, but I don't. Have the ability to use my limbs to perform different functions. <laughs> yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. See, I'm trying to do it. I can't. I feel yeah. like you can't see the it. same it's way. Okay. <laughs> if, I, if I was going to hypothetically play an instrument, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh, man. I could see you doing some clarinet, man. Some no, really? No, just think about it. You're playing some jazz clarinet. It's sounding awesome. I could see you rocking the bass, dude. Why not? Dude. All right, so the people who you were visiting, Mm -hmm. uh, they were musicians as well. And that's how you linked up with them eventually in high school? Yeah, yeah, a lot of them definitely. There's a couple people in there that were... uh... Not really musicians. They they didn't really play a lot, but a lot of that connection was absolutely music. We're being really vague here with yeah. them and the yeah, pronouns. Right. Let's give names. Right. So, so you are Matt. I'm and Matt. The, you are Matt. Yes. I'm Ron. <laughs> I am Yoda. And that's Yoda. Yes. And this is Tanzuri. Okay. So like, how many and what are their names? Right. So – um. Altogether, um, I'm not going to say the number. I'll just say the names, and the number will make sense after that. <laughs> so there's uh, – Because um, I, I never get the numbers right ever. Yeah. I punch them all the time. <laughs> exactly. You, you match all these faces. These two brothers, Chris and Paul Kaloya, real great friends of mine. They were the ones who actually – along with uh, my friend Leslie, who's in there as well. Three of them, the collective was under their name. Um, so that, that was like their place in Kalamazoo. And then there's a guy named Doug who is a bassist. I actually met him there, and he's the one who I kind of like, – you know, like we lost path after a while. And then there's a guy named Jeremy Dye, great friend. He's still in the music scene. He actually just got back from a tour in like Europe a couple weeks ago, like maybe a month ago. He's doing great. And then we also have, very briefly, uh, Stephanie Chisholm. Um, she was a roommate, best friend of mine, uh, still a great friend, awesome visual artist. And I think that's the core of the voices. Most of it is Chris and Paul and Leslie. That's, that's the biggest. Is your voice anywhere featured in this entire recording? Very subtly here and there, that first conversation that opens up the tape, uh, that is Doug and I. Let's take a listen to that right now. Yeah. What I'm talking about, like, the, 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 all at once? Yeah, dude, I did something, man. I don't know if I, like, hit on someone's girl or if I, like, did my out or what the fuck <laughs> I did, man. But I did something. Yeah, there's not. It couldn't be any worse than those two things, really. I mean, what else is worse than that? I mean, yeah. they're still like standing, and I remember. I remember thinking, why is everyone so mad at me right now? Yeah, I just remember that's the last thing I remember thinking. Yeah, it's gotta get intense. I don't, I don't think I'm in a situation where there's like 15 or so people looking at me. Man, that's yeah, that's something. Especially when you don't remember what it is and you're just sitting here like with no ride back home thinking like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, whoa. 
You might want to take a drag off that? I'll go for it, man. As soon as you want. But uh, if someone to talk to you, it's not like... Fuck you, dude. Yeah, definitely not. That was recounting a drunk night, right? Yeah, yeah. And then something happened, and everyone was looking at one guy. Yeah. And he was like, I don't even know what I did. <laughs> yeah, what did I do? Why exactly. was everyone looking at me? Yeah. I mean, it must have been bad. He said, I, what, I hit on someone's girl? Yeah, exactly. But he said, hit on someone's girl. What was the other thing he said? He said, or maybe I whipped my dick out or something. Uh, <laughs> it can't be worse than those two geez. things. <laughs> I like that that was like a, just a ready, ready assumption. Maybe. I just whipped out the old skin flute, played everybody a tune. <laughs> did you guys ever act out too much at parties, or did you try and be as, um, you know, with as little uh, fanfare as possible? I love being the center. I love, <laughs> I love just hanging out with people. I mean, I don't need to make a spectacle by any means, but I'm sure. trying to talk to everyone in the party. Definitely something yeah. that is of a healthy variety when it comes to being in a social environment. <laughs> but in terms of, like, whipping your Johnson out for everyone to see. <laughs> I was definitely on the sideline of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I thought was really cool about that recording is that with Alon's recordings, and sometimes you did get these, Alon, because you would leave the recorder on and you would just have it in your hand and record other people like conversations that wasn't all the time because sometimes you would you know many times you're prompting people but i did like the nature of the fact that yeah. there's no sense that anyone knows they're being recorded no it's really a moment in in time that's yeah. really like yeah. sort of like an interesting funny moment that you would never have recorded like no one would ever be like yo bro world star and like bust their phone out when you're like trying to recount a drunken night but that's something that everyone has done i used to have a friend of mine and this guy would show up with black eyes all the time <laughs> And we would be like, what happened? He goes like, I'm pretty sure I got in a fight yesterday. <laughs> Chances are I didn't win. It would be like all the time. We'd be like, Yo, who's you fight? And he goes, I don't know. Yeah. But they kicked my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I would always go back and like try to do the research. I'd be like, for private eye, I'd be like, did you kick his ass? <laughs> and then a lot of people would be like, yeah, I totally whooped him up. <laughs> he, he was, a, dick he was <laughs> acting a fool. He got drunk. And there's a reason why he always wakes up with black eyes. It's yeah. not our fault of his. <laughs> I never got drunk at a party until my senior year of high school. I was de-invited to a party. Junior year of high school. I may have mentioned this one time on the show. Were you just getting sloppy and ridiculous? No. I got de-invited for honestly no reason at all. I, I don't know if it behooves me to get into the absolute details because it would require me to dissect the very mind of a guy that I don't even know. Whatever he did, it touched you deeply, though. Yeah, exactly, right? Well, <laughs> you're, still, you're, you're still thinking about it. To this day, I don't think I've ever been de-invited to a party. I remember I got something in the mail that said, <laughs> oh, you may not come to this party because <laughs> wow. you get out of control. And I'm wow. thinking to myself... Damn, what, that's the, the opposite what, of an invitation. Never I mean, heard of that. Okay, so I had started smoking <laughs> yeah. weed by that point, but I yeah. definitely was one beer queer, I guess, or whatever, yeah, whatever. How, whatever the yeah. term that they used when somebody didn't really drink at all when they were at parties. And I really didn't get out of control, except I stayed up the whole night. Mm -hmm. Fuck, if I was going to be getting Sharpie on me or something, oh, yeah. or stereotypical like that. Yeah, we, but, that, we used to do that. For sure. This guy, but so, but so this guy legitimately sent me a letter in the mail wow, uh, saying, I'm sorry that I have to do this, but I really don't feel comfortable with you coming to my party. Wow. And it was for no reason other than uh, silencing me and keeping me away from it I for mean, popularity reasons or that's something. Very, that's very peculiar. There was one instance I remember when I was in high school where we had to de-invite a guy to all future parties, <laughs> but it was because we were at a party and then, you know, everyone was hanging out, you know, doing whatever. And he 
flipped out for some reason. Something didn't agree with him. And he threw a stereo at another kid. And we were oh. like, we were like, you're out, buddy. Yeah, you can't do that. That's the end of it. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. We got limits. And this is equipment that's not supposed to be lifted. <laughs> See, that's out of control. Yeah, no, because we're destroying someone's property. I mean, it was one of those things we were already like, you were close to the edge before, right. buddy boy. And now. Final strike. That's, you know, <laughs> there's breaking the camel's back. So yeah. That's the one. <laughs> we, we actually have a short clip here because yeah, yeah. I, I'm really intrigued. It was recording over what was other conversations. So maybe this is you. Maybe this is somebody else. Definitely context needed. Some word got out that there was a party or some type of revolution happening here. But they're not doing anything different than everyone else. They're just entertaining themselves, lying to themselves, pretending to be part of something that doesn't even exist. Most of them can't even dream. They they completely miss it. They don't even understand. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Could we be a little less honest? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, that's like, that's the classic. Yeah. <laughs> like sitting there with a cup of coffee and a cigarette, like these bastards. I'm you glad. sit and you listen to your music and you watch your Twitter feed and you assume that everyone cares about you. Well, let me tell you something, buddy. They care about themselves. And so do you. You're going to be regretting you got free speech today, buddy boy, and I got this recorded. <laughs> this is going to be all over my live journal. I don't know why you're suddenly from Brooklyn in this that, scenario. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so they, they didn't sound like you. So who was that? That may have been Justin, actually. Justin's a cool dude. He eventually... Um... He sounded cool. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds like he's smoking that cigarette still. Hand-rolled, by the way. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. Oh, he's, got bu- he's got his bugler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, PBR on the other hand. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, he was a musician as well. But I think photography was his actual main uh, talent and passion. He eventually moved to Chicago. He once showed me this really cool series of clips that was just a series of edits of people going, is that recording? Like, like, looking at his camera, so you just have clip after clip after clip of different people going, is that recording? Is that recording? Is that recording? And it's just like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, That's perfect. That moment. That's pretty good. You know, on a reel. I went to film school, and okay, I, cool. I used to similarly do things that were, like, kind of obscure, just kind of seeing what I would get. And I don't feel as creative as, as some people could have been, but one was I did a, a film where I interviewed people about a topic I had no knowledge about and a topic that they had a knowledge about. Like, if you don't know something, sure. just keep talking and just feed me something. <laughs> yeah. And it was basically this, I made this documentary, it was a mockumentary of misinformation about this topic. Oh, cool. Because I had to do one about a, a, a landmark in Boston mm-hmm. and do a paper on it. And I was like, can I do a documentary? And they were like, that's more work. And I was like, trust me. It's not <laughs> And I just, I had, a, I mean, it was this bridge called the Longfellow Bridge, and I still have this film somewhere about the Longfellow Bridge. And like, people were like telling long stories about Longfellow, and I, I, the reason why they called him Long, he wasn't a Longfellow. And, it's like, and all my friends who were comedians and stuff like that were in it, and it, it like it ended up being really goofy. Yeah, I did another one where I asked incredibly introspective questions about myself with me interviewing them. <laughs> Tell me about why you don't like me. Yeah. <laughs> and the people were like, what? And I actually got, I really did break through some stuff, but it was really difficult because they were like looking right at me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's the same way. Totally. Know, there's a lot of weird ways you can go with that. There's a lot of people living in this cult. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, it's, a, it's a good group of people. Um, like there's probably, I think like 
anywhere between four to eight or nine people in the house at any given time as residents. Um, and then there's, of course, just people hanging out and doing things. Um, it's a very open community vibe. So you're in this like kind of college atmosphere. It's the student ghettos of Western Michigan and Kalamazoo. And, you know, you got all these like cool party people. And that recording with Doug, it goes on much later. But what starts happening in that conversation with Doug is he kind of starts end up talking about all this drug use at one point, which is like, whatever, you know, doing your thing. But uh, I think that where that kind of more cynical vibe comes from was kind of having this conversation three or four in the morning, everyone's kind of passed out sleeping and kind of like, you know, are we even, are we doing anything? Like, is this, is this making a difference? Like we're rallying behind concepts and philosophies and we're young and we're reading all this great postmodern theories and like we're watching our environment change or watching the economy crash or we're all these powerful political opinions, but we're just in basements getting fucked up. Is that a revolution? I don't know. It's a great escape for sure. It's yeah. poignant, especially at this yeah. point in, uh, in, right. in his time as well. The mm-hmm. same way. Are we walking down the street with pieces of cardboard on sticks or are yeah. we doing something? Exactly. When you visited this co-op, was there yeah. something about the general makeup of it that was appealing to you? There was something extremely appealing to it. It was like the bohemian aesthetic. There's so many dreads, so many like unshowered bodies. So, <laughs> so much patchouli. So much patchouli. So yeah. exactly. no, honestly, you're very right. So much patchouli. Patchouli, like, peyote. Yeah. That's it's, like, it. it's one of those things where you walk in the I would never room. be able to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> right. Wait, what are, the, what are those um, those hoodie things, you know, with the... Oh, that, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. There's none of those. That's, a, that's not a real bohemian Give him some thing, credit, yeah. man. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah, about. the drug rugs. <laughs> 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 exactly. Like, it looks like a poncho, like as if you would be yeah. like, from Mexico, but it's not, and it's only on hippies. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so like, oh, is gray this, and your, this is your culture. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what language do you speak? I noticed your cultural god. Yeah. I speak, <laughs> hey, dude. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can pray to your gods. Oh, yeah, we can, let's go to the park. <laughs> I just like the fact that those hoodies have actual names. I had never thought of that. Yeah. I mean, but it is. they're just I mean, made of yeah. hemp, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. yeah. That's you, what makes them cool. But there's there's <laughs> only <laughs> only one type of person yeah. wears them. Yeah, back. exactly. Like if you saw like just anyone, like I'm just trying to think of like anyone. But, you know, Ithaca thing, had a ton of them. They, I know that. Do you yeah. also no, was in high school too. They also they also wear like cargo shorts. It's like it's like the drug yeah. rug and the cargo shorts. Yeah. And, like it is that particular that there, is like. There the are two a lot clothes. of people listening to this episode right now who are big fish fans. They're very <laughs> offended hey, by our stereotypical. Absolutely not dissing. Just pointing Why, out an we observation. Just, we just said it the same way. You know, I'm trying to think of you know if you're wearing a suit with double breasted with like a vest. Who mm-hmm. wears double breasted suits? You're anymore? typically not a homeless guy. It's just the nature of clothes. Yes. They say the clothes make the man and woman. The person. Clothes make the person. You know? Mm-hmm. That's why people still give me <laughs> flack all the time for the way I dress. I feel almost like we were on the tail end of the really baggy. Junkos were popular. The UFOs. Did you just call them Junkos? Junkos. Junkos. Are we like really arguing about this awful <laughs> brand of pants? <laughs> Do you want me to call you Jummy? Right. <laughs> I'll call you Uh, Jummy. UFOs or UFOs. (laughs) Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we have more fun, exciting, interesting, and um, dare I say... Dare. Captivating clips. Right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Lost and Rewound. (laughs) 
chatting with Matt Finch in the first half, and we are continuing to chat with him in the second half. Yeah, it's great. Yes. Happy to be here. You moved to New York because you wanted to be in music, right? Yeah, yes, I did. Here. I followed a really great friend of mine named Adam Cuthbert. He uh, had studied in the same composition program as I had. So yeah, I got my degree in uh, composition and uh, jazz bass. So I was introduced to this contemporary, minimalistic, new music world through my university, started meeting people throughout the years, creating a small network. And then Adam and another friend of mine uh, named Dan Rohde started something called Slash Sound, which is a label. And then they invited me to be part of it. And I moved out here to assist it and uh, be part of it and keep it going. When you had the opportunity to move to New York, yeah. was there any other opportunities that you could have certainly taken on in Chicago, for example, or in uh, other cities in the country? Was your travel bug high or was New York it? If I was going to leave Michigan, New York was it. Absolutely. But there, I had a lot of opportunities in Michigan. Some of them might still be there. Some of them probably washed away at this point. But yeah. New York was the aim. It was, uh, I really felt that the community that I wanted to become part of was niche, specific, and exactly what I was doing. So, Did you ever dream when you were a kid that you had moved to New York, or was it... No, ne- never thought of it. Never thought yeah. of it when you were a kid? No, no. It's so funny. I actually, I had this dream of buying an island and just like not participating in society <laughs> and just jamming. Like that was like Dude, the dream, and then that's... slowly reality hits. <laughs> Sounds pretty sweet in theory. But then you get that whole thing of, I'm going nuts on my island by myself. And then then you got to, like, create a whole, like, importing system. Got people who, like, flying things to you, like supplies. And I just didn't really want to set up all that infrastructure. (laughs) There's a lot going on. It's not not as easy as it seems. I mean, you know, island life is what it is. It's not exciting. It's it's laid back. It's, It's, you know, I... I you would, would go with laid back more than exciting? It's really a combination of both. If there's something you need to do, but you don't want to do it, there's always tomorrow. You know, I'm all stressed out about some random thing, and they're just like, where, where are you going to go? Like, we're surrounded by ocean. Like, you got tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Dude. So that was really cool. My mother lives in Hawaii, so I've, like, visited her while she's living out there. How long ago did she move there? About four, four years ago. It's interesting that what? you were a kid who was really into the whole concept of being in that sort of isolation. Yeah. And then your mother went ahead and took that dream from you effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she went. Yeah, exactly. When she was leaving, was she just like... <laughs> <laughs> you do not want to know what you do. What do you do? Look at boys. On the lips. <laughs> the way you even described it was hilarious. <laughs> That's great. I want to get to these two yeah. uh, three to four minute clips here that are really, really fascinating. Um, cool. This first one is about politics, uh, which is not at all topical whatsoever, but is really <laughs> intriguing uh, because I'm not sure who's talking yeah. and I'm not sure what the context here is. And that's what you're here for. Absolutely. Let's, let's take a listen. The class carried out the democratic revolution, what's called the bourgeois revolution, the democratic revolution. Like They carried out this democratic revolution against the feudal... Um, like, you know, like autocratic state. Um, The theory of permanent revolution just basically says that because those capitalist countries have already done that first and already got their imperialist tentacles all over the world, it's like they've already won the game. The game's already rigged so that the later coming capitalist classes in other smaller developing countries cannot carry out the democratic revolution because doing so threatens their very existence and that they're safer under the, you know, an oppressive, like, uh, like, 
theocracy or monarchy or something. And so the conclusion is that instead of waiting, for example, for the capitalists in those countries to carry out the democratic revolution, that the only class that can carry out the democratic revolution in those countries is the working class. So that means that there has to be a permanent revolution, which means that the revolution starts, but it doesn't end at like a democratic, like, you know, parliament or like yeah. republic, that it just keeps going. Like that's what happened in Russia, and that's what has to happen in all these Middle Eastern countries and these like African countries and like in these Asian countries. Um, and that's what, that's what the distinguishment is. Like uh, a Marxist who was not a Trotskyist, who like, like rejected that development of the theory, would say that all these countries have to go through this like democratic revolution and the capitalists have to take, carry it out. Yeah. And then you have to wait like a generation for these capitalists to build up you know, <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then maybe, maybe sometime when they're finally like America, then the workers can start rebelling. So that's a really like, that's a really cynical and like, you know, I mean, and not only is it cynical, but it's, I, I would say it's not true that what would happen is they're just going to be kept under this perpetual enslavement to the, the, to the capitalists and the rich countries. Yeah, it's a good, ex good explanation. Yeah. Okay, so of course the way I explain it makes it sound like I'm right, and you know my idea is right, or that the, that the theory of permanent revolution is right. Mm -hmm. But I mean that is the simplest way to explain it, and there are like legitimate critiques like that other Marxists might make against this this idea. Um, but I would just say that the only way to like you know determine whether it's right or wrong is to actually look at not only historical evidence but look at what's happening in the world right now. And I think it is almost too painfully obvious that permanent revolution is correct, just by just by looking at the world situation right now, even um, like what's going on in Tunisia right now. A democratic revolution broke out, okay, against the dictatorship, and now the capitalists are rushing to form this unity government that is on favorable interest to the you know imperialist countries. And so, the, so permanent revolution says the masses have to continue rising up. They can't stop after the after the democracy is united and formed. They have to continue rising up, and they have to overthrow that too. Okay. Permanent revolution. <laughs> permanent revolution till it's over. Revolution after revolution. Ah! Till it's over. Who is that talking? So that is Chris. Prior to studying music, I studied political science and psychology. I left it though. I was like, well, no, 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 I got <laughs> to go play music. <laughs> yeah, even, <laughs> even that conversation, I was just like, oh, it hurts. It hurts when you really take in what he's saying too. It's kind of like, yeah. yeah, thanks, Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> Can I let's go listen to John Lennon? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this kind of falls to the previous thing we listened to, right? Where you have this like cynical perspective because Chris is one of the heads of the co-op and the co-op did have a political aesthetic. It was It's a co-op that exactly. I think sort of speaks for itself. Absolutely. No? It was a very socialistic concept, the way that the house ran, the way that 
things functioned and how we interacted all fell pretty strictly within to socialist concepts. And, you know, it was great. It was actually truly a really great co-op. This conversation, though, is literally taking place late at night during a party. And and again, it goes back to that other thing that's like questioning well, what's really happening here, you know, because you can you hear it in the background. If you like, really listen to it, you can hear these like kind of brief chatters. We're like in a separate room. But Chris is talking to me, Paul and Leslie. Maybe there's like some other people in the room that I don't like remember at this time. But what's great is Leslie is the humor here for me. It's, it's so hilarious. She's like, Come, yeah, yeah. She's just like, oh, fuck. It's permanent revolution. You know, like, we'll never so, get out of it. Exactly. This like kind of constant, constant cycle. But yeah, it's super interesting, especially, you know, in today's times. Well, right. And that's my other point I yeah. was going to make was is that uh, this was made in 2008. This exactly. was made either pre or post election of the first black president yeah. and uh, maybe the last true responsible president that we ever get. And the fact <laughs> that we even. Oh, you can't say that. I you mean, don't know no futures. We don't I, know no futures. I hope. You, you bet no futures? Uh, <laughs> you know, I really sincerely wish that the cynical underbelly is going to be vanquished from my being very quickly. But for right now, listening to something like that yeah. in a time that was so hopeful yeah. shows much prescience in terms of where we stand now. Absolutely. Where this kind of clip makes even more sense than yeah. the time that this was made. Absolutely. And it's beautiful too because if you listen to what he says about like how the revolutions have to set themselves up, he kind of foreshadowed what happened in this um, election. So I would say that like when we got Obama, that was a revolution in like a social sense. That was a revolution in progress and moving forward. And I would say, well, yes, there's many complaints about corruption in every presidency, but I wouldn't call what was going on with the Democrats between 2008 to just recently a capitalist environment that we are in. Right now, it feels like a capitalist environment. Definitely. And, and that was a revolution for that side. The perpetual revolution concept is it's a great it's a, example. It's a backlash. It's, this is the exactly. revolution that was a backlash exactly. against the aggressive and stuff. That's, and that's what he's saying. It's got to constantly work that way. Power will only transfer revolution through revolution through revolution through revolution. Right. It's like I said a few episodes ago the nature of a pendulum just swinging back and forth and every time it comes back to the center it arrives at an even more extreme level than it was before and that's the nature of history i mean Mm -hmm. that's the way it's supposed to especially with new perceived goals that continue usurping the other big fish keeps on eating the little fish and so on and so forth and it will never stop that i will concede to hearing this kind of clip almost a brilliant foreshadowing and uh and i'm really intrigued because how you managed to find yourself in the Midwest, surrounded by people of similar political beliefs, etc., as opposed to what I always assume with the majority of Michigan, which is pretty split down the middle. Right, yeah. yeah I was really surprised. I feel like I grew up around a diverse political uh, environment within my own family and friend group, for sure. And I think that what ended up happening was where I went to high school, which is where I first met Paul and Chris and Leslie, was not art. It was not humanities it was not english it was math and science and that you know, there was great things going on with those subjects for sure so it became really obvious when you'd find another creative person they kind of just was like a light in a crowd like, i look around i see all these really smart engineering mindsets all these great sports and athletes like cool kids dumb kids whatever you see the whole spectrum but then you just see like that guy's real bright i'm talking to that guy and that's how i met paul and then through paul i met his brother and then through them like ran into leslie just kind of spiraled out that way but you see what's exactly mm-hmm. the thing like that the fact that you had to look 
through that large crowd exactly. and find exactly. those Precisely. people in Michigan. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's what's so interesting with Michigan and kind of like you, you're asking me like, you know, what did I get from this journey? And that's kind of what I was really pointing to is that like when I went to the west side of Michigan, same as like in Detroit, there is an extreme amount of this type of mindset, this type of like more democratic, socially based, I call it creative, but I mean, that doesn't really encapsulate it, but this very liberal mindset permeates and it's a very strong part of Michigan, actually. A lot of the creative environments like Right now in Grand Rapids, you got this huge creative scene going on in Detroit. The scene is like starting to expose itself. It's been there forever, but it's like starting to surface in this way. And you're realizing the people who are at the heads of these organizations, the people who are letting this stuff happen and making them city events and making large events, they agree with the more blue mindset. And and that shocked me more and more as I grew up in Michigan because my family, a lot of people in my family and a lot of people my family associates with and people I was around I felt like such a black sheep for such a long time. You know? Well, that's, yeah. that's what I was going to say is that yeah. my experience in Michigan, I've been to Michigan twice, actually. I was there almost 20 years ago now. You know, I was hanging out with people in Michigan where half people weren't wearing shoes. Yeah. Real country folks. Yeah, the rural world In like the middle of nowhere, Michigan. And I used mm-hmm. to go out when I was a kid because my father used to do this animal trapping. We'd be watching skinning demos and they'd have a pile of carcasses and mm-hmm. they'd be like, you know, pulling them out and all this kind of stuff yeah. like that. So I had for a long time growing up this big experience meeting the people that, in my opinion, were like the heartland of the country. Mm-hmm. And these people were so... They were the, nice, the nicest people in the world. Right. But very... the attitudes that they had about mm-hmm minorities about other countries about anything they didn't know exactly they were terrified of these things and they demonized them absolutely to the point where we had a guy we used to hang out with these two guys nicest guys in the world there was one name between the two guys yeah they were both named william williams yes exactly the chinese food i talked about this right yeah Mm -hmm. no but the thing that is in my mind the best why i was bringing this up now was in the past few years, especially you know when Obama and everything was happening and mm-hmm. all these different progressively minded things were happening, TV especially was like psh, pushing the progressive agenda yeah, to yeah, the max. Time, the media yeah. was like, we're all about it now. All the past sins, we're, gonna, we're really trying to step away from that. Yeah. Everything was so PC, you know, legalizing gay marriage and just everything. Yeah. And it was so positive. And I was just thinking, wow, this is really great. Mm-hmm. But I thought to myself, even as it was happening growing up, I said, you know, this is happening faster than I thought it was going to happen. Yeah. I thought this was going to take another 20, 30, 40 uh-huh. years that maybe when I was older, yeah. we would see these changes happening. I didn't think they were going to happen by the time I was a young adult. Exactly. And I thought to myself, the reason was, I said, you know, I came from the city. I grew up in New York. Everyone in New York was all about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I said, the moment I went out there, it was two different mindsets completely. Yes. Yes. And they didn't agree and they didn't like each other. And so I said, I don't know. I said, this is happening really quick. I said, maybe there's people that are just... They're, they're tight button in their lip because they don't want to be looked at as being the person that's coming out and saying, saying what's not wanting to be heard. Hitting the nail on the head. But dude. now mm-hmm. that it's okay to say this stuff. We're hearing it left and right. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, once it's public policy and it's sanctioned, no one's pointing the finger at you because yeah. before it was like, you know, no more oppressors. And now it's like, well, no. No. <laughs> We're going to go right back exactly. to the way it was. Yeah, exactly. We have a president that is uh, <clears throat> empowering this voice, right? Like well, he's encouraging it. I brought it up at the very beginning of the show. The fact that we live in a linear timeline. Absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to linear life, uh, there's only one way to move, and that's forward. Yeah. I would be inclined to agree with that. Uh, we have time for one more clip. I, for some reason, I entitled it Independence. I guess we'll find out soon Interesting. enough. <laughs> that, that, that's my own way of knowing what, what clip is what. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a listen. Do you remember Miranda? She does what we miss. She had short hair and 
I was having a hard time hearing some of that yeah. towards the end. Like, where was this conversation happening? Right. We're standing actually on the same – this is a great full circle point. We're standing on the same porch that uh, Doug and I were standing on at the beginning of the tape. Okay. It's the same porch, different time period. Again, this is a, this one happens to be more, is more of an evening situation. Are you wearing the backpack? At this point, it is – I think this is a coat pocket that it's in. So I think I'm standing there like a little cold. Nothing in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but that's some framework. I mean – you yeah. clearly knew what you were doing to some regard uh, in so much as uh, where the tape was lying in, in the amount of time that you had left. Right, right. It's weird. I just feel like if somebody ever caught it, yeah. it's just like this is just like the, the, the inner like comedian in me is like, if someone had caught me with the thing, if I was in like a, a community like that, yeah. they'd be like, no, I, <laughs> I'm not taping this for the CIA to find out about all your different... They're not on to me, guys. All your different socialist tendencies. <laughs> They've not been making me report on you. <laughs> this is in a fake mustache. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Fortunately, never had that moment. I don't know what I would have done. Do you consider yourself an independent person? Uh, you know, that is so interesting. I used to, and I maybe used to pride myself on that independence. And I think that pride is exactly what brought me to wanting to live on an island by myself. Mm-hmm. But what he says is so true. And as I further integrated myself in creative communities and later moving here to uh, Bushwick, he is absolutely right. I mean, you are n- almost nothing but the people you associate yourself with and, and who you are and what you can do is all those networks working together. Like that's that's what it all is. Like you by yourself is, is nothing. You wrote down something when you introduced the tape's Mm -hmm. uh, contents to me. Um, In the email, you wrote this sentence. You said, some of the people I knew from the Vine Collective, Mm -hmm. um, which is the name of the the co-op, have moved on to develop a life so closely resembling those dreams where others let the dreaming spiral their grasp on reality into an incoherent vision lacking direction and traction. Yeah. Looking back to it now, it feels like a different world, and I'm never sure where my romanticism blinds me to what that time was and where my memory misguides me. Yeah, I did say that. And uh, um, what I mean by that is that in this time, there, there was a lot of drug use. <laughs> <laughs> End of so when, I, so when I say romanticism... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, like, you know, the, the, the tripping was a thing, right? So, like, you got people taking acid, you got mushrooms, you got all these different things. And essentially, I look at some of these people. I'm not going to say any names. I don't want to point people out right now. But, like, there's some people who I look at what their ideologies were at that time in their house, uh, what their passions were, what their goals were, how they would go about interacting with people, how they would go about thinking about themselves and what they wanted out of themselves. And I look at them now and I say, like, you stuck to it. Whatever has been going on these past, wow, almost 10 years now, that's crazy. Whatever's been going on in that time period, they stuck to that vision and they brought a life close to them. And some other of these friends, they just lost touch with reality. The dreams became too far away from actually reaching truth. To be fair to those who you came up with in this Mm -hmm. time, would they say the same about you? Would they think that you followed your dreams or did you drift away? I think a lot of my friends see me as following my dreams. A lot of my friends see me as an ambitious person. I do absolutely have some friends who think that I gave up on something and left. I think I have some friends who think that. Yeah. We all, in some respects, have to compromise one thing out of our lives in order to gain another. And by you coming here and shedding a little bit of that history, we can hopefully maybe bring upon some rediscovery about those missing pieces that could always come back. 
Definitely. This is just another step in the journey. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew you would find yourself in the basement on Radio Free Brooklyn? You're in a music collective. People can find your information about yeah, that online. Absolutely. Yeah, go to slashsound.net. Check it out. Got great, cool artists. You can check out all the music we've been making. Uh, there's updates about different projects we'll be working on. We use uh, that platform to talk about shows. So if you want to know anything about some very interesting, cool music, yeah, check out slashsound.net. Matt Finch here on Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. This has uh, been a really fun hour spent with you, dude. Absolutely, man. And thank you for contributing these tapes. We certainly look forward to more where this came from. Yeah, I'll be emailing you guys. Thanks to everybody out there listening. Again, every Thursday, 3 p.m. right here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. We're on Audio Boom, SoundCloud, iTunes, all of it. Find us, lostandrewound at gmail.com. You can find it etched in the side of a mountain and sprayed in the side of a building. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Enjoy the the rest of your week. (laughs) Take care. Secretary is not a toy. No, my boy, not a toy. <laughs> to fondle and dandle and playfully handle. Have <laughs> you direct quotes? That's, a, that's crazy. The eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't, it's unfortunate that the listener cannot see yeah. the creepy ass eyes. That was the real, that's what sold it. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to audition for this show next time it comes anywhere. I'll tell you, man, if they really had an open casting call for it, dude, I would I would go jump I would, on it. I would go I would go all the Jimmy, way. Jimmy, jump on it. I could t- <laughs> Thanks, Don Sony. Now I really got the inspiration. Do it. <laughs> dude, I would I would. Because you know what? I think I'm perfect for the role because, like I say, I'm part Puerto Rican and we know a thing or two about washing windows. So I already got like, part of it down. <laughs>